Don't let what is stop you from becoming who you're meant to be. That's just an area of growth and transformation for you. It's just an area for you to own it, to take responsibility and to shift it. You hear all the bull about marketing every day. Make your money in your sleep. My new offer is crushing it. My guru could beat up your guru. It's time to go right to the source and get the truth about marketing. With your host, the founder of CopyChief.com, Kevin Rogers. Hey, welcome back to The Truth About Marketing, the show where you get to go deep with the real doers in the business and find out what they're doing in their marketing to make a big difference in their business and in a lot of lives of the people that they reach out and help the most. My guest today is someone who has helped millions of people deal with one of the most daunting issues, problems, circumstances that you can have in your life. And it's something that I think a lot of us have and don't even recognize as something we need to deal with directly. She's also a lot of fun. (laughs) So this is going to be a great interview with one of my favorite people on the planet, Rhonda Britton. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Oh, my pleasure. And you, my friend, are one of my favorite people. You are smart. You got that sexy voice. You're, you know, that you're just smart as a whip. So it's such a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate it. You you and I just became instant buds. I was blessed to speak with you. My very first time on, on a marketing stage, as it were, it was the Sam event, and you were one of the speakers. And uh, I always think you came in last minute to that. To that I did. Day. Yeah. I did. I came in the night before. That's right, because something happened. Actually, I came in the morning before, and I just found out about it the day before. Right. That's what it was. Yeah. Someone had an accident or something, and I think you were called in last minute or something. And I, I'll never forget that event. There, we, we did short sets. It was like a twenty-minute, you know, set. And I'll never forget your twenty minutes. It was one of the most impactful talks I've ever seen, including every TED talk and, and every other thing I've ever watched on video. So I, I want to cover so much uh, in our short time. I just want to let the audience give them a little perspective. You're someone, you're an Emmy winner. You've had several television series. You've been on over 600 episodes of television. Met Oprah a couple times. Yes. <laughs> hung, you're a guest on Oprah's show. Yep. I want to hear quickly what Oprah's like. And you've had, you know, four best-selling books. And of course, as I mentioned, you're, you're an amazing speaker. If anybody ever has the chance to be in a room where you're on the stage, that is a, that is indeed a blessing. So tell me, of all those things, do you have a favorite uh, way of reaching people? I love, love, love speaking. I mean, I do. I think that is my superpower, and I appreciate you saying that it's a great experience to be in the room with me. I think that is my superpower. If I'm in front of a live audience and I'm able to do what I do best, that absolutely turns me on. And, you know, I speaking of marketing, I'll just use an example. I just spoke to a, a small intimate group just last weekend. It was 58 people. I closed 29 people. And then three more people joined right after. So I closed like what, 55 to almost 60% of the room. Wow. So if I'm in front of a room and you hear me speak, and if it's an opportunity to obviously sell and close, 
you know, I can close because mm-hmm. they are compelled by the message. They want to hear, they want to solve what I'm talking about and they want to hear it. So it's one of the things that I do best. And I also love TV because I love TV because it's a team environment. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was on a show called Starting Over and I was the very first life coach on TV in the world. And the first time I was on TV, Changing Lives, was in England. And I was on, an, on a show called Help Me Rhonda for two years in England. And that really taught me how to change lives on TV and really know how to do it well. And then I came over to the States and did the show called Starting Over. And that was an every single day show, five days a week, 185 episodes a year. And when you have, on Starting Over, I had 150 people working to make sure that I could change that person's life. And when you're part of that big, that sense of team, mm-hmm. uh, everybody's working on the same goal. And yes, they're creating a television show, but really the whole team has to support me in a way to so that I'm able to change somebody's life. You know, sadly, a lot of reality television right now is scripted and coaches that are going on these shows think that's the norm. That's not the norm. That's not how it was. And I was not scripted when I did my 600 episodes of television. I can't be scripted. That's just not how I work. And I had the privilege and the opportunity to not get scripted because I was first and I kind of paved the way. But after, sadly, people are getting scripted now. So I would say, get me on a stage get me in front of a screen. I'm good to go. <laughs> yeah. Talk about fearless. Talk about living your uh, <laughs> your message. I mean, that's, you know, live television. You know, I, I've done really simple stuff like, you know, throw out a, an idea to me and I'll, I'll write a, a headline for it. Right. I mean, that's nothing compared to inviting a human being who you care very much about onto live television so that you can, you know, fix their life, essentially. How do you set that up? How do you choose somebody that you can help? You know, how does that go down? Well, it's a process. I remember this one time the executive producer of Starting Over came to me and said, oh, you know, we found this girl. I think she's awesome. You know, we haven't had a spoken word poet and, you know, she does spoken word and she's awesome. And so I watched the tape. So what they do is they do audition tapes Mm -hmm. and, you know, they say, I want to work with you because blah, blah, blah. And then we review it. And I don't review it first. There was a whole casting department that reviewed and then they would get it down to maybe five people for the next slot. And then me and the executive, you know, then there's a smaller team would kind of vote on it. Right. And that woman that was a spoken word poet, she was awesome. She was amazing, except she had a monotone voice. Mm. And so think about it. I want her to feel, I want her to express, I want her to be more true to herself. And her tone is like this all the time. And all her poetry is like this all the time. And it wasn't a part of her act. It was just the way it is all the time. She spoke like this during her poetry and she spoke like this after her poetry. And, <laughs> you know, that would, you'd be, you'd, you'd want to take your hand through the TV and slap her, right? <laughs> right. So you have to look for qualities Uh, of just like anything, just like in relationship and business. What do you need in business? What Mm. do you need in relationships? You need somebody open-minded, open-hearted, willing, able, and is pliable. Like, you know, when I, when I'm going to change your life, whether it's in an audience and you're sitting in the audience, not even knowing what's about to hit you or on a TV show or private or coaching with me privately, you've got to be open-hearted, open-minded, willing, and able 
Otherwise, it ain't working. I don't care how much you say you want it. It ain't going to work because mm. you don't really, 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 really want it. You don't, you're not really, really willing. One of the things I ask my private clients is, will you do, and you know, you have to do anything and everything I say. Will you do anything I say? And if they say no, then it's like, no, you know, because in that process of changing your life, do I want you to trust yourself more than me? Yes. But right now you don't know how to do that. So mm. let me help you trust you because I want you to trust you more than me. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. But in the beginning, they're not trusting anything in anybody and they they're confusing trust with standing for themselves or they're confusing Mm. trust, you know, with knowing what they want. Mm, Yeah. Not so much. No, that's (laughs) not that's not that's not what it is. Now, let's talk about, I got to go back for a second, because that's fascinating you said about the monotone voice. You know, I think about my, it made me think of my kids. And they're, let's say, uh, I hate to label them like this, but, you know, they're not academically driven, Mm-hmm. <laughs> is how I like to put it. They do fine, but they're not in the special programs in the, you know. And so, but I tell them, I say, look, you know, character and personality is- Oh, is, yeah, wins the day. It wins the day, right? Totally wins the day. You, you could be the smartest person in the world, but if you're dry and uninteresting and unable to read people and react to people and engage with people, it's going to be challenging. That's right. You're going to need someone in your life who can do that and can balance that out. So I guess my question, is in a case where someone like this woman happened to have this monotone thing, she wanted to work with you, but is it the kind of thing where it's like, is the fact that she has this monotone voice only a problem for television? Yeah, it's only a problem for television because we needed a particular type of person, right? right. right? Now, if she came to me privately and she says, I want to build my spoken word business, I want to blow it out of the water. I'm like, groovy, let's do it. And I would work with her privately on her voice. And I probably would maybe send her to a voice coach. Who knows? Maybe I'd have her start singing, right? Maybe I'd have her start doing, you know, doing word poems while she was doing jumping jacks. I don't know what I would do depending on, you know, what we would do, but I'd get, I'd shake her up. (laughs) And because her voice was so, I knew that it would take a longer bit of time because she had some other things going on that it was not a good use of television time. Yeah. Is is, is this thing like being monotone indicative of a way that fear is affecting your life? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, we are feeling beings. You know, I know we want to say that we make decisions based on thinking, Mm -hmm. but anybody that knows the basics of marketing, we know that everything is done based on feelings. Mm -hmm. So your feelings, your emotional life is not only captured in your body, it's captured in your words. Mm -hmm. It's captured in your tone, Mm -hmm. right? You know, how many times do we hear a voice and we think to ourselves, you know, oh my God, that girl is still 12 years old, right? She hasn't grown up, right? She <laughs> right. still has that yeah. voice, like, or, yeah. or, you know, somebody who's speaking like, you know, and, and, and other people are speaking really loud, right? And, yeah. and so tone, vocal quality and tone is one of the first ways we experience you as a human yeah, being. Right. So we forget that. And I know it's one of the reasons people don't do video or they don't do, right. you know, podcasts and stuff because they're afraid of their voice, but that can be changed. So don't let what is stop you from becoming who you're meant to be. Mm. That's just an area of growth and transformation for you. It's just an area for you to own it, to take responsibility and to shift it. So nothing, marketing is learned. You right. can be on, you can make YouTube videos. You can do radio. You can do podcasts. I mean, that's the thing. People come to me, Kevin, and say, I want to be on TV. I go, why? You have something called YouTube. 
<laughs> right, right. Right? I want to have my own radio show. Really? There's something called podcasting. Right. You know, the internet is the great equalizer. Anybody can have a quote-unquote TV show. Anybody, quote-unquote, can have a radio show. Right. Right? And you just have to learn how to do it better. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's no joke. I, I heard this amazing statistics. The f- top five influencers of teens are all YouTube stars. I know. Wow. It's just amazing, isn't right? it? I mean, so th- that just goes to show that the trend is only going to continue and get bigger. And, you know, and also everybody's, you know, cutting the cord. If you heard this, you know, getting rid of cable or satellite television. And it's like, my kids just go to YouTube for entertainment now. And I'm like, I have no use for this anymore because I don't really watch TV. And it's true. And if you you can get past these, you got to get out of your comfort zone. And you also have to be realistic, I guess, right? It's like- Yeah, uh, yeah, I think you do. I think you have to know your superpower. You know, know, are you- are you better in voice, i.e. podcasting? Are you good on camera? You know, then you get to do videos. If you're a writer, write. I mean, there's no wrong platform. There's just a platform that's meant for you. And it's where you like to spend your time. If you don't like to spend your time there, you won't do it. Right, right. You won't do it. So, you know, put your line in the sand and say, okay, I love talking to people. Great. Do a podcast. Great. I love to be on camera. I love to have lights shining. Great. Do YouTube videos. Yeah. I love to write. Great. Write Start your blog. blog. Yeah, right. Right, right. That's great. Now, how do we know, I don't know how much we can define fear in a few minutes here, but I'm really curious about, you know, you you take fear head on. I, I love this. You know, you talk about honesty, transparency, and marketing. Like most marketers would say, well, you know, we're helping people deal with the fear, but we can't call it that because because <laughs> nobody wants to deal with fear, right? And fear is an ugly, that's a negative term. <laughs> well, it, you know, it, it, there, there's some truth to that and untruth to that, right? Dep- it depends on how awake the person is. Depends on what level of client you want, how awake they are, right? But I would say that, you know, my business is first and foremost to wake people up to fear because most people do walk around, you know, thinking they're procrastinators or they're overwhelmed Mm -hmm. or they're anxious people or, you know, they label themselves something to keep them the designated patient. They they label themselves to keep them kind of victimized by this trait of theirs, right? So what I do, the very first thing I do when I work with somebody or go to any of my videos or anything on my site is, you know, the first thing I do is ask you a test because most people do not walk around saying I'm afraid or I'm scared. They're just not in touch with it. So, you know, on one level, marketers are right. People do not admit they're afraid, right? So what I have to do in the world of fearless living, because that's what I am doing head on, is I actually read a list and I ask people to, you know, say, do they do any of these things? Like, do you complain? Do you compare? Do you manipulate? Do you get defensive? Do you get, you know, annoyed? Do you, are you perfectionist? Do you procrastinate? And as I do this huge list of words, and it's a big giant list, I would say that when I'm in a live event or when I'm teaching a class, I would say most people do 70 to 80 80% of them on a regular basis. And then the next thing I always say is that's all fear-based. You don't procrastinate unless there's a fear underneath. You're not a perfectionist unless you have a fear underneath. You don't compare, you know, unless there's some fear underneath. And again, I'm very versed in neuroscience. And my Mm -hmm. philosophy is I can talk neuroscience all I want because there's a lot of books now on neuroscience uh, and it's awesome. But, you know, I can tell you all about how the brain works. I could tell you what's going on inside of you, which is nice information, but that still doesn't tell you what to do when you're fighting with your mate, right? Like I can tell you, it's your amygdala, right? But it, it, it does, that does not help you. That does not help you, right? You actually need to know what to do, right? <laughs> right. 
because that's what happened to me. I mean, my yeah. life was, I was taking workshops and I was reading books and I was doing all these things. And, and at the end of the day, I would shut that book or leave that workshop and I'd be all high and inspired and motivated, right? We know that one. It's like, yeah, yeah. right? And then two days later, my life would be the same. And I was confusing, and I think most people do, I was confusing insight with action. And I did not know how to actualize what I was being inspired about. And that's what I do. I show you what to do about where you're quote unquote stuck, where you have that crossroads, where you don't trust yourself, you know, where you're having a tough time making decisions. I'm going to show you what to do and help you get it back in touch with yourself. Love it. Uh, Fearlessliving.org. Is that the best URL? Yep. Fearlessliving.org. It's amazing. You're amazing. So much we could discuss. It's been great already, but I want to get to the the big, the central question of this show, because I, I, I have a feeling your answer is going to be one of my favorites. No pressure. <laughs> Rhonda Britton, what is the one thing you've done in your marketing that has produced the most surprising results? Tell my story. Tell my story. You know, when I first started my business, and I've been doing this for over 21 years, I was one of the very first life coaches in the world. And I had a friend of mine who was a professional speaker, and she said, you need to tell your story. And I said, nobody wants to hear my stupid story. Nobody wants to hear my, you know, I, I, one, I was embarrassed by it. Two, it was like, nobody wants to hear it. It's too horrific. No, nobody wants to hear that horrible story. I mean, that's just a horrible story. And so she dared me. Okay. All right. She dared me. So what I did is I had two speaking events back to back and they were both for similar audiences. So I wore the exact same suit. I gave the exact same talk. And the only difference is the second talk, I told my story. So the first talk, you know, I did it, I crushed it, I killed it. You know, for me back then, this was, you know, 19 years ago, I had about five people come up and talk to me, you know, and I was like, good, you know, five people come and talk to me, that's awesome, right? And then the next week, next talk. And I, same talk, same outfit, same everything, except the only difference was I told my story and I told it pretty poorly. It was the very first time. And when I got done with my talk, there was a line literally around the block. Wow. And if you would have told me to tell this horrible, ugly story would have put people into action to change their lives, I seriously did not believe it. And I know we all know, you know, we're, you know, this is, you know, this is almost 20 years ago. So, you know, we've hear that tell your story, tell your story, tell your story. But I'm serious. Tell your story and don't tell the, the little baby one. I mean, there's some speakers out there that are telling these, you know, like, Oh, this thing, you know, I, I broke a nail. It's like, no, <laughs> tell, no, I don't want to yeah. hear the break the nail story. I want the gut story. I want the guts and heart story yeah. because that tells me what kind of person you are, your, your, what you did to get through it. And don't gloss over it. Tell me how hard it was. Tell me, mm. tell me because uh, then I trust you and I believe you. I mean, I think that's what happens for me is I get trust right away from many people because they're like, holy crap, she got through that. If she got through that, then what the hey, what the heck? Right. How can she not help me with what, what I'm dealing with, no matter what it is, how, whether it's tiny in comparison or, or huge? Sure, I've shared your story with more people as an example of why it's important to share your story than any, anyone else's in the world. The opening line of your story, Rhonda, is, is just, it, I'll never forget when you spoke it from stage, you could just hear a pin drop, you know? It was like one of those needle scratches on the record, it, it, and just everybody was went, whoa. And it, it just takes such bravery. And I, for, for you, I mean, you've been telling it now, I guess, 19 years, but I, I can only imagine the amount of courage it took 
to tell that first time. Could you just give me that? Well, I invite you to tell as much of the story as you feel is relevant for this. But I just wanted that opening line of the story is just a stunner. Well, sometimes I change my opening, so I don't know what's going in your head. But I usually, many times, say fear is a killer. Mm-hmm. You know, fear is a killer. It kills your dreams. It kills your relationships. It kills your hopes. In a flash, it killed my parents. It almost killed me. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I say. But other times, I'll basically, well, let me just let me just share it a little bit. And you can tell me the line that really impacted okay. you, if you remember. I do. Um, so, you know, when I tell my story, and again, I've gotten really, I've gotten better at it in 19 years. But how I tell it now is I talk about the typical day in on Father's Day, you know, because that's the day it happened. And it was Father's Day and I was 14 years old and my father was coming over to take us to brunch. And then I go through a little bit of that day, you know, how I was helping my mother with her hair, her blue eyeshadow. And, you know, my father came in and asked me what coat he should wear. And this coat was this tan Naga Hyde leisure suit coat. And, you know, and I talk about how I was helping my mother, you know, take down her hair. But wait, let me tell you this part. My mother, I don't know if you remember this, the beehive hairdo. Do you remember beehive hairdo, Kevin? Sure do. Yes. And so in the story, I talk about how I was in, in the room helping my mother get ready with her blue eyeshadow and her rose color lipstick, and then the beehive hairdo. And, you know, she didn't go to hairstyle. She didn't go to hair guru. She went to beautician. And every Friday, between Friday and Friday appointments, my mother would take a to- roll of toilet paper and wrap her head. And so imagine my father slept next to a roll of toilet paper for 20 years. <laughs> And so I say, I don't know if that has anything to do with the, why they're getting divorced, but, you know, so I help my mother take down her toilet paper. My father's going out to the car to get his Naga Hyde leisure suit coat. And I start walking out to the car with my mother. My two sisters are fighting it out in the bed, my, the bathroom. And as I walk outside, I notice my father hasn't grabbed a coat, but he's grabbed a gun and he starts screaming, you made me do this. You made me do this. And he fires at my mother. And I start screaming, what are you doing, dad? What are you doing? And he cocks the gun and he points it at me. And I absolutely think I'm next. And I blink and my father blinks. And the next thing I know, my mother with her very last breath sees my father with that gun in my face and screams, no, don't. And my father realizing my mother is alive takes that gun and shoots my mother a second time. And that second bullet goes to my mother's abdomen out her back and lands in the car horn. And for the next 20 minutes, all I hear is, and then my father comes running over next to me, puts the gun to his head and fires. In two minutes, I was a sole witness of watching my father murder my mother and commit suicide. And I don't know what you would do in that moment, but this is what I did. I blame myself. I mean, I didn't kick my father. I didn't grab the gun. I didn't say anything magical and lyrical to get him to stop. I didn't jump in front of my mother. That's the least I could have done is jump in front of my mother, for God's sake. Hmm. But I didn't do that. And for the next 20 years, I tried to kill myself three times. I became an alcoholic. And it wasn't until that third suicide attempt that I realized something. I realize I'm not good at killing myself and I better figure out another way. And from there, I, I really move into the tools that I use. And, and another thing that I do with my story is I don't tell it until I'm, I'm a two thirds of the way through my talk, mm-hmm. you know, because 
when I tried to tell it in the when I told it in the very beginning, I told it early on, and the audience would be so shocked, and they wouldn't know if I'm okay or not. So, mm. so they would. It's almost like I would put them in post traumatic stress, right? I, right. They, they, they'd, they'd be having a PST. So I learned that they have to know I'm okay. So two thirds of my talk, I'm just sharing fearless tools, right? I'm doing my keynote, and then two thirds in, I tell it but they already trust me and know me and they see I'm okay, right? They see yeah. I'm, they say I'm smart and okay and I'm alive and I'm fine. So when I tell the story, they can handle it better. They can process it better. Mm. And I still have people walk out sometimes because it's too much and they come up to me afterwards and say, oh my God, this happened, something similar happened to me or, you know, I tried to kill myself or, you know, there are people in the audience that are deeply wounded by suicide, murder, or just wanting to die, right? Or alcoholism, mm -hmm. that it brings up a lot of pain for them. And I know that. So I'm here for them. You know, I'll talk to anybody afterwards for as long as they need to in order to support them to get to the other side. Oh. Thank you for sharing that. You know, I'm sure no matter how many times you tell it, it it's not just a bit. No, a, it's a, not a bit. Not a bit. <laughs> uh, and it, it's just, has, I can hear the emotion every time you tell it. To me, it, speaks to your dedication to really helping people. I mean, clearly this is a calling for you. You needed to discover what it was going to take to save your own life. That's right. And you had one of the best excuses I've ever heard for going through a lot of, you know, dramatic, traumatic living. Yeah. I always say like, if you saw me on the edge of the, you know, like on a, in a gutter with a bottle of, bottle of alcohol, <sighs> nobody would go, what happened to her? They would say, right. you know, what happened to her? right? They wouldn't ask. They would just know. Mm. And nobody would question it. Right. Right. They would be like, well, of course she's an alcoholic right. sitting in the gutter, you yeah. know? What else could it be? Right. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course that's going to happen. And, and I've met people who have had the same thing happen to their family. You know, a father killed the mother, the mother killed the father. Some, the spouse stayed alive who had the gun and some died themselves. And uh, it's shocking, but most of them have never dealt with it. Yeah. And I can't imagine how hard life must be uh, when you're not dealing with the hardest thing that you've gone through, you know, in your life. And we all have to face the thing that's haunting us. We all have to face our secrets. We all have to do that. Yeah. And there's sure no playbook for that one. <laughs> you know, and I think this, you know, what you do is so important, not only for the millions of people you've helped through your speaking in your, all your television, certainly the thousands you've helped directly, but all those people who hear a story about someone who was, uh, like you said, in, in the gutter alcoholic, and next time they see somebody in the gutter might go, hmm, I wonder what happened, rather than just passing judgment or making assumptions, because there is a story behind every one of those, those problems. Wow. So, okay, back to the marketing show. <laughs> <laughs> So what happens now, uh, by the way, I love that you really did like a case study, wore the same outfit, right? Like yep. really oh, wanted yeah. To, yeah. to, you literally A, B split test, whether it was the story or not. I did. And uh, so what happens after that? Obviously, immediately, you know, oh boy. And what kind of conversations now are you having and how does that immediately change? Because just a scalability problem, I, I feel like you've now created for yourself. Well, it's also scary because now I have to admit my story everywhere mm. I go. Mm. You know, when I meet people, you know, I will ask an audience, 
like how many people know my story? And I'm still surprised how many people, you know, cause I feel like I've been telling it right for 19 years. <laughs> right, right. right. And I was on TV and like I had my own radio show. So I feel like everybody knows my story. Right. So, so I sometimes even forget to tell my story because I'm thinking, ah, you know, my story. So, <laughs> so what I have to do now is I ask an audience, I always go, so how many people know my story? Hmm. And you know, of course, of course, millions of people, billions of people don't know my story. So I end up telling it and I tell it in whatever way, shape or form, you know, short version, long version that, that it is depending on the situation, of course. And, you know, because I really tell it hmm. and it's not a gimmick, mm-hmm. Because I think that's also what you brought up is I don't do it from a place of like, I have now uh, found my hook. I found my hook, right, right, and made it perfect, right? That's not how I think of it at all. I think it's a bridge between me and their desires and their soul and their heart and what my, the work I do and, and what I've done. And, and it helps people know that I see them and that nothing that's happened to them in their entire life will be shocking to me. You can, I've heard the most horrific stories and I do not get shocked. And I think most people are so afraid of their stories and so afraid of their secrets and so afraid of what they're ashamed of that they actually think they're going to shock, you know, the audience or them, you know, other people. So it's why they don't tell them. So I think I'm somebody that can hear anything and stay with you. Right. Mm -hmm. And never and never leave you. And that is in itself. If we never talk again ever in the history of our lives, your life has changed because there I am right with you. Yeah. And by the way, fearlessliving.org. I know people are listening right now and they're feeling like all these emotions and thinking, thank God, somebody out there really gets it and understands if you want to reach Rhonda, it's fearlessliving.org. What is the is there a one most typical path people take to healing through your teaching, Rhonda? Is it, I know you, you have courses, they could see you speak, there is coaching. Is it for, for certain types of people, just easier to start with the course so they can, you know, kind of tiptoe into dealing with this? Well, I mean, just to go back a little bit, mm-hmm. is that every single person has fear as part of our neurological biology. So mm-hmm. nobody's getting away from fear. Yeah. Nobody, yeah. nobody. So what happens though is, you know, most of us don't know what's happening while it's happening. We can't identify fear soon enough. So then we go into self-blame and shame and, you know, you know, just beat ourselves up. And all of most, I would say 99.9999% of all that is fear-based. And so once you start seeing how it's related to fear, what happens is the shame goes away, the beating yourself up goes away, and the self-blame goes away because you see it for what it is, not what fear is making you believe in your mind. So there is not a person on the planet that doesn't need to understand how they personally individualize fear because that's the difference. You and I do fear differently. Mm-hmm. So that is what I teach. I teach how I, t- I show you and teach you how to work with your fear that's yours. And you might have a fear that you're worthless. And, you know, Sally might have a fear of failure. And George might have a fear of, you know, being inadequate and, you know, worthless. So, I mean, it, you know, and I have my biggest fear is loser. And so we have these different fears and they show up differently for you. And so my course is not cookie cutter. My book is mm-hmm. not cookie cutter. So, right. you know, you are going to create your own, what mm-hmm. I call the wheel of fear. You're going to actually 
discover your core fear, your core trigger. I believe you, everyone has one core fear that produces all the other symptoms called procrastination, perfectionism, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Fear of success. Fear of success is not a fear, by the way, but we can, we can talk about that in a minute. So everybody needs to do this. There's, there's not one person on the planet that doesn't need to understand this. And so whether you want to go through the book, Fearless Living, or whether you want to take a course, uh, my course, Fearless Living Training Program, or you want to come to my live event, Fearless Foundation Workshop, I have, I teach it two to three times a year. And if you're somebody who loves that in-person event and want to work with me personally, that's the best way to do it. So your choice of how you like to work, but you, but you're going to, you're going to do it eventually, yeah. or you're going to keep getting stuck mm-hmm. because all the other work is wonderful work out there right. and it's skills and tools and it doesn't actually show you how fear works. And what I always say is every course you've ever taken will be on steroids after you understand fear. You haven't been able to actualize the other courses you've been in because fear is talking you out of doing it. It's so true. It's so you know what true. I mean? But yeah. once you get fear, you can actualize everything. Yes. Right. Yeah. We, you know, last year, one big book that I enjoyed a lot was Essentialism. Right. And it's it's about break it down to find out what's important to you and focus on that. And you're like, it all makes great sense. But and then you go, all right, here's my plan and I'm going to do it every day. And you go, why am I back to me again? I don't want to be me anymore. (laughs) Two weeks later, it's me again. Damn you. And that's exactly why it's right. It's like, what is the real thing? We see this in sales all the time. You know, a salesperson has a great week and then they take the rest of the month off. Because they've decided that they're only worth a certain amount and they got to make sure they get right back there. Those type of, of things that entrepreneurs, business owners deal with so hardcore. Well, it's also your children. If you don't understand how your fear works, how are you going to mm. help your children understand their fear? You know, when I talk to an audience, I'm like, okay, if you're a parent, this is the greatest gift you can give to your child. Because once you understand how yours works, you will be operating differently with your child. Mm -hmm. You're a business owner. You have employees or virtual assistants. Hello. (laughs) If you don't know how their fears are working, you're going to think the employee just sucks. When you could see, oh, they're afraid of this, this, and this. Got it. I'll just talk about it. And you can turn things around. So many people throw out relationships, throw out love, throw out careers, throw out dreams because they don't understand that it is the crux of fear that's causing the ultimate problem. It's not that they're stupid or they don't have the skills or the, you know, it's not any of that. It's that if you understand how fear works, all of a sudden everything becomes possible for you because now you're not being your own worst enemy. You're not self-sabotaging. You're not, you know, doing that negative self-talk. You're not being that. Oh my God, I'm back to me again, right? <laughs> right? right? You actually could keep going. <laughs> mm. The new normal could actually be the new normal, yeah. Yes, oh my God, that would be so awesome. Mm. Wow. Well, Rhonda, thank you so much for, for doing this. And I know how valuable your time is. And just the work you do is, ah, what can I say? You're one of those people. Uh, it could be so easy for you to not want to hear everyone's most horrific story. But you do it not only with care and love, but you remain a happy person. And to me, like that is the most amazing example of what's possible. You're one of the fun people I know to be around every time I talk to you. And I know you deal with real stuff. It's not an act like we talked about, but you really have found, you know, how to handle fear and more importantly, how to teach other people how to do it. So I'm always happy to support you any way I can. I'm just one of your biggest fans in the world. Mm, Thank you, Kevin. It is such an honor. And, And I do feel like the work that I get to do is an honor. And my whole life was for this purpose. And I and it is a complete honor and privilege that people trust me to allow me 
little Rhonda Wheatonen, who's now Rhonda Britton, little Rhonda Wheatonen from, you know, upper Michigan and upper Minnesota, who grew up in a little tiny town with very, very middle class upbringing that I get to do this? Like, what? This is amazing. This is such a, wow. I wake up every day going, wow, I get to be me today. And that's how I want everyone to feel. I I want them to wake up going, I get to be me today? You know, I get to be Sally today. I get to be Jeff today. I get to be Kevin today again. Wow. Wow. I get to be me again. (laughs) You know, because that's really what it gets down to, right? The happiness of getting to be who we are. What a joy. So thank you, Kevin. I so appreciate it. And and thank you for all you do. I adore you. Thank you so much, Rhonda. Rhonda Britton, once again, it's fearlessliving.org. Go there, get in front of Rhonda, read her books. And like she said, again, this is not marketing. This is truth. Everybody needs this. If you're wondering why all the stuff you've tried isn't sticking, it's fear. And so please visit Rhonda's site at fearlessliving.org and uh, see what you can you can do about it. Thank you so much for listening. Please come see me at copychief.com for more episodes of this podcast and all kinds of cool tips and tricks for improving your marketing and helping spread your message throughout the world. Talk to you next time. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Truth About Marketing podcast. If you like this show and you think other people would like this show, the best way to spread the word is by reviewing and rating the show in iTunes. Just log in, click review, leave a big old fat five-star review, and let everybody know that you dig the show so that they can dig it too. To get all the links and resources we mentioned on today's episode, please go to copychief.com forward slash TAM, as in truth about marketing. And if you'd like to learn more about how you can improve your sales copy with uh, templates, formulas, coaching, feedback, or hiring a pro, do all that on the inside of the members area of copychief.com. And I will look for you there. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.